Thank you, Jose. So we are looking at Hebrews chapter 3. We've been in this book for a bit. <clears throat> We're getting into, you know, at the, at, at the beginning of Hebrews, I, I mentioned that Hebrews can be a very, uh, a very uh, I don't want to say, t- I do want to say a tough book, but I don't want to say a tough book because it's, it's just that sometimes you have to really, you just can't read through it. You got to stop. You got to think. You got to work through. You got to use your brain. It's, it's a, a book that, that uh, puts some really powerful thoughts and sometimes hard to figure out thoughts in front of us. And these next two chapters are a prime example of that. He's going to talk about some things that seem difficult, may, may even to some seem harsh, but he is going to talk and, and he's going to flesh those out and he's going to do it so that we can become more like Jesus, so that we can grow in our lives. So I want you to see, we, first of all, we looked at the first part of chapter three and what did he do? He, ta- he talked to them about their identity. He said, you are holy. He said, you're a family. He said, you've been called by God. He said, this is who you are. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. You're tired. You're struggling. There's a remedy. Look at Jesus. So what do they see? And he tells them what they see. He's been sent from God. He's the one who was sent from God to come and declare the kingdom. And he was the one who was sent. For John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was sent from God. He is the faithful final high priest. Final because he's the high priest and he's the sacrifice at the same time. Faithful because he followed through all the way to the end. He's greater than Moses, which would have been a big thing for them because Moses, uh, he says, Moses was a faithful servant But Jesus is the one who's building the house. He's the one that is greater. You know, I thought about this because we we went through COVID. We went through difficult stuff. We're in a time where there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of upheaval in our country and difficulty. And oftentimes, we can begin, that can beat us down. Um, The reason I thought of that, um, I was reminded of in... uh, in 2022 in the New York Marathon. There was a runner, a, a Brazilian, one of the, probably one of the top five runners in the world at the time. And, and, and at the start of the marathon, he kind of set a little bit faster than normal pace. And the commentators during the marathon were just commenting on how effortlessly it seemed like he was running. He was just running very smoothly, like, you know, the, the different things that they look at on a runner when they're running well, their arms, is their head remaining still in spite of these long strides and, and just different things like that. And, they, and one, of the, one of the commentators was just saying, he, it just seems effortless for him. Like he's above this. He's just running and doing it well. And at the 21 mile marker, all of a sudden he slowed up. He walked a little bit. He looked around and I mean, he fell flat on his face. At 21 miles, just, you know, five miles from the finish, he collapsed. And, and afterwards, they were talking about this, and they, you know, he, he, was, he was fine. He wasn't injured. Was, he didn't have an injury that slowed him up. He was saying, my stomach, it wasn't like my stomach was upset. It wasn't like I was cramping. He said, all of a sudden, I, I was running, and I took a step, and my body just quit. And he said, I, I didn't have any control. I just, and he just keeled over. It just shut down. It couldn't go on any longer. And you know, 
we're in a time where sometimes people can feel, it's very easy to feel that way. It's very easy to feel like, I just can't go on. Life is tough. The struggle's overwhelming. There's no end in sight. And you, you begin to feel like, I just can't go on anymore. I just can't make it. Now, almost like you're in a desert and you just can't see a way out. And here's the thing. You may not feel that way right now. But there will come a day when you will feel that way. There will come a day when you will have those feelings. And so this is something we need to, Hebrews, he's talking to people who feel that way. This is what it's about. When we look at Hebrews 3, Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to look, there's, there's going to be, uh, he's going to talk about the, the, the wilderness when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. This epic, epic story, this miraculous uh, delivery from, from Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. The greatest army on earth is destroyed right before their eyes. And they get out into the wilderness and the grumbling starts and the complaining starts. And he's going he's gonna to refer to these things. We got to understand what's going on. And, and we're going to go into this more because it's going to come up more. But, but I want you to see there's some big lessons from those wilderness wanderings. First of all, and he mentions this, they put God to the test. They put God to the test. What did they do? They said, we demand you do this. We demand it. And so you got to understand, implicit in their demands is, or else. We demand you do this, or else. Now you think about that. Or else what? Or else we quit. We stop. We reject you. See, they're saying we deserve extra because we're your followers. And God is saying, no, you don't. They're saying we sacrifice so much to follow you. Can you imagine that? They're, tell, they're telling God, we, we sacrifice so much to follow you. And God's saying, really? Really? Let's talk about that for a minute. And see, the thing is, we look back at that and and I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine that I, if I walked through the Red Sea, you know, I walked through the Red Sea, however it looked, I don't know, all I know is like, you know, movies, it's this wall of water, and like, and like I think it was the old, the old Moses one where a whale goes, as it goes by in the wall, and I'm thinking, in a freshwater sea, I don't know how that works. Anyways, Anyways, yeah, yeah, it's Hollywood, right? And if I walk through that, if I walk through that, I just think all the doubts in my life would be erased forever. They'd be erased forever. I just walked through an ocean, almost. I just walked through, and when the chariots started coming, I saw it go. It's hard to imagine, but you know what? It's funny how we forget so quickly, the things God has done in our lives. We can do that. And the Israelites really believed, it was the common belief back then, that gods were territorial. And as, as they kept moving out in the wilderness, they kept wondering if they've gotten out of the range of God's power. Because, I mean, you know what they think. He parted the sea for us. Now we need water. That seems pretty easy for him to do. And so they say, do it or else or else we quit, or else we leave. And that's just how we can be. So many times when I talk to people, it boils down to this. 
God did not do what I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it, so I quit. He didn't do what I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it. He didn't follow my plan, so I quit. I did all this stuff for God. I tried to live for God, and he didn't do what I wanted. And those are the big lessons we're going to look at here because they started good, but they struggled at the finish. And if you're in a wilderness right now, we got to ask this question, how can we finish well? How can we endure to the end? And endurance is a big theme in the book of Hebrews. And this passage is going to pinpoint where the problem is. It's the heart. It's going to mention the heart four times. One of the main things that keep you from finishing well is having a hard heart. And in order to finish well, we have to, we have to keep our hearts tender before the Lord. So let's do this. Let's think about this. Let's pray. God, soften our hearts. Show us how to do that. Help us in doing that. Make us willing. Make us uh, open to your spirit. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we look at these, the scripture, and it can be hard at times. But as we dig and as we learn, we see that underneath it all is the heart of a God who loves us dearly and wants what's best for us. Lord, help us to see that. Help us not to put our schedules, our wants, our desires before anything, everything else. Help us to learn to put you first. And in doing so, your son promised us that's where we would find life. God, that's what we need. And I pray even today you would begin that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So he says at the very beginning, verse 7 that Jose read, so as the Holy Spirit says, I want you to stop right there. Okay, understand, this is what he's saying. The Holy Spirit's speaking here. This is not just some man. Later it's attributed to David. Uh, But this is not just some guy speaking. This is not some person speaking. This is the Holy Spirit of God. God himself is saying, Today, this day, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." All right, so here we have this passage. This is a warning. He's, warning. he's warning the Christians at that time, and he's warning us also. And it can, it's a strong warning. But it's strong because he loves us. Any parent knows the anger that God is talking about. Any parent knows that anger. You're standing by the side of the road. You see one of your kids, and all of a sudden you realize that kid is about to bolt, but there are cars. And so what do you do? You don't go, oh, please, don't do that. Think about this, physics, okay? You've got an unstoppable force, but you are a movable object. Therefore, do you want me to graph this for you? No, you don't. What do you do? Sometimes, right, you scream, stop. You lunge. You, I lunged one time from one of my little girls trying to get in the street, and all I got was a handful of hair. And you know, I didn't go, oh, I'm sorry, did that hurt you? Go ahead. No, I said, sorry. There's more at stake here. 
than just the pain in the back of your head for a moment. I'm saving your stinking life, right? That's what's, and so that's every parent, you know that, and what happens? You're charged when that happens. When you think your kid's about to run in front of a car and you jerk your kid back, you are energized. What? Why? Because you're, oh, you're a little upset, and then you're a little bit like, I shouldn't be so upset, but yeah, I almost lost a kid, so I am upset. You know, you, that whole thing is portrayed in your mind. And you're, this is what we're talking about in this passage. God says, I don't want you to do that. This is wrong. This leads to frustration. This leads to death. You do not. This is not right for you. All right? So he says they did not enter his rest. Now, this is going to be a key thought that we may spend a little bit of time on in the next week or two. Uh, because this is key for us in our walk with Christ. And it's going to be expanded on in chapter 4, and we're going to delve into it deeply in chapter 4. But for them, what was that rest they were looking to? They were looking to entering into Canaan. They were looking, entering into this place. God said, this is going to be ready for you. It's going to be awesome. And then they, they test him. They try him, and he says, okay, you're not ready for the place that's ready for you. You're not ready for it, so we're going to wait. The next generation is going to do this. And they missed it. They missed the blessing. And so God is doing this for our well-being. He's saying, don't harden your heart. Now, how do we do that? All right, we have some keys here in this passage. The first thing I want you to see is be aware of your heart. Understand your heart. What is it you need to understand about your heart? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, all right? He says, your heart can have a bent towards it. He uses the word deceitful later. It can be deceitful. It can be this thing that that you have to be very aware of because your heart can lie to you. Have you ever been in a spot where you thought, "This this is so important, and it turns out it wasn't so important? You were fooled on that. You're a fool on that. Again, I'm, you know, I know most people, a lot of people here don't have kids, but this is what happens with little kids. They tell you, I have to have this. I have to have this. One time on a trip, one of my daughters told me, I have to have something to drink. I'm about to starve to death. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. It's not stopping time. We go on trips. I don't know about you, but when we went on trips, it was like drink, pee, get in the car, see in six hours, right? We're going to be going. And, and our heart lies to us sometimes. It, it tells us things that aren't true. And here he's saying, and beware of your heart. He's saying, see to it. Look at that first, those first three words. That's all one word, see to it. It's a word that literally means to look carefully, to take notice, to keep an eye on something, watchful in the midst of lots of things going around, keeping your eye on one particular thing very carefully, your heart. There's all kinds of things going on around us in our lives right now. And he's saying, focus on your heart. All this other stuff is not nearly as important as your heart. Uh, we used to live um, down Work Boulevard in Courthouse Green, and we lived kind of at a, a, an end spot, and so it was great for kids because there wasn't a whole lot of traffic. And uh, one time... It's just when just Derek and Holly and then Reagan hadn't been born that long ago. And so I was outside doing something to the car and my wife came out and she says, okay, I'm going to take Cody in and feed him. 
keep an eye on Holly. Derek, he does all right. You know, he was old enough. He, she said, but keep an eye on Holly. And I looked over and said, oh, she's, she's over there sitting with a friend playing. I said, okay, I got it. And so she, she turns with, with Cody and she looks, she goes, keep an eye on Holly, okay? And it's, you know, I don't know. It's that thing where your wife looks at you and you suddenly have this feeling that she doesn't trust me. She doesn't trust me. With good reason, it turns out. But I said, Bev, I got it, right? I got it. So I'm under the hood and I'm doing something and I look up and Holly's sitting there playing. I'm under the hood and I'm doing something. I look, she's sitting there playing. I'm under the hood and I'm working a little bit and doing something. I busted a knuckle and I said, like, oh, darn, I dropped the tool and crawled under the car. I got the tool and Bev walks out and says, where's Holly? And I said, she's right over there with a friend. Well, her friend was there, but she wasn't. And so I got the look, right? You know that look, right? That look that says, you're an idiot and I'm an idiot for trusting you. That's what it is. And I'm like, row, row, you know, I don't, uh, right? And, uh, and, so, and so, you know, she goes, I'm going this way around. You go this way around. Let's find her, you know. And, and we found her and she was tangled in some bushes, you know, and she was, she was, she was whimpering and just pulled her out. And Bev pulled her out. Bev pulled her out. I can't. I said, "Oh, Holly, are you?" And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just make sure you understand how are you incompetent. So, it's he's saying, keep your eye on your heart. There's a whole lot of other stuff that will distract you. Keep an eye on your heart. Don't be led astray. Think about that. How's your heart? Because where your heart goes, you go. And the reason this is important is because Phil just mentioned it. We can fall into behavior modification. We can fall into doing things, thinking this is what Christians do. This is what a good Christian does. And there are things that God wants us to do, but the problem is we do the doing and we don't get the heart ready. What we've got to do is get the heart ready and the doing will flow from that heart. We conform to standards. But the heart is not changing. And this goes all the way back. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So be aware of your heart. Stay close to people who will speak truth into your life. Stay close to people. And, And he's saying there, he's saying there, see to it. See to it, brothers and sisters. It's a very personal thing, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's part of that that heart that we have to keep an eye on. And he says, there's this idea, he's saying there's this idea, we are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't act like brothers and sisters a whole lot, do we? Not really. But we are. We have to start thinking that way. Because brothers and sisters, close people, they, they, they're, they're the ones that are more open to telling you the truth. But for this to work, we have to be vulnerable. We have to tell the truth back and forth. And it's hard because we regard our heart as private. That's nobody else's business. And God is saying, you've got to start breaking that down. You gotta start talking to each other. You gotta start being vulnerable to each other. You gotta start loving each other. You gotta start being brothers and sisters. 
And he says, encourage one another daily, this plural idea. So it means encourage each other, and it's happening over and over because we need each other. The surest way to harden your heart is to isolate yourself from your brothers and sisters. That's the surest way to do it. Especially true. This is especially true when times are hard, when you're struggling, when you're ashamed, when you're depressed. At times like that, we tend to pull away and retreat into our own little shell. And it's easy for our heart to harden in those times because that's when we need the most, the encouragement that brothers and sisters in Christ can give. That's when we need people who will exhort us. That's when we need people who will speak truth to us. That's when we need people who remind us who we are in Christ, not who we feel like at this moment. This requires us to build relationships and build community. So be aware of your heart. Stay close to people who will speak truth into your life. And thirdly, recognize the deceitfulness of sin. All right, here we go. Understand this. You know, this is the key thing um, in, in terms of deception. I don't know about you, but sometimes I like, I like these things where they talk about how magicians work and what they do. Illusionists. I should say that, shouldn't I? Illusionists, how they work. And they were talking to one guy, and he says, it's all based on this. I try to get you to look over here because right here is where everything important is happening. I get you to take your, your, your eyes away from what's important and look at something that really isn't that important so that I can get the important stuff done and, and surprise you, you know, trick you or fool you, or even pick your pocket and things like that. If you've ever had, I have, if you've ever had someone try to pick your pocket, this guy just, we were walking up and he just bumped me with his arm in the front and I was like, ooh, and he put his hand to the back, but I felt it. I was like, whoa, I was like, what are, what are you doing? Oh, sorry, man. Sorry, I just bumped into you. Yeah, sorry, I ran into me. And I was like, you're trying to pick my pocket, dude. I wanted to punch him. But he was, he was big. I decided it was a better idea not to. All right. So the idea, deception, what does it do? It gets you to look away from what's important. This is what sin does. It tempts us to believe a lie. It tempts us to believe things like this. No one will. It won't affect anyone else. I deserve this. It is different for me. And I want to tell you, it affects all of us. This is one of the things I try to emphasize over and over and over again. I'm just like you. It's not like somehow I'm pastor, I get extra powers. You know, I'm extra holy. My, my prayers go through ceilings better than your prayers go through ceilings. That's not true. I'm just like you. And you know, one of the biggest things, some, they've done some studies, one of the biggest things is they hear pastors say, I deserved it. I deserved it. Pastors sometimes that, 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 that slide money illegally to themselves or have an affair. And what do they say? No one understands what I go through. No one understands what I do. Blah, they're such whiners sometimes. And, and it just like, stuff like that. That's why, look, this is one of the things I love about this church. I tell you, I never touch money here. I know nothing about the money here. I have no clue what any of you give or whether you even give or you don't give. I'm totally in the dark on that stuff. One time I went in the back and they were counting uh, the money 
And I knocked because somebody had given me a check. I said, hey, this is to go on the offering plate. And they're like, oh, okay. There's a few of them in there. I said, here you go. How's it going, guys? And they're like, it's fine. I said, oh, you're waiting for me to leave. And they're like, yeah, we are. And I backed out. But that's so good. I have no clue. I want it to be that way. It'll never be a temptation for me because I don't understand how it works. And I'm not involved. I can't steal from you guys. Very frustrating sometimes. But, <laughs> but and they hear, they hear this pastors that say, I deserve, no one understood me. So I deserve this extra. And they didn't, you know, deserve it. I know, I know the job I do, and I know the job some of you do, and some of you work harder than me. And some of you struggle with things. And some of you, this, we're, all, we're all the same. But these lies, they seem like the truth when we're deceived. And then what happens? What happens? We believe them, and calluses begin to form in our heart, and it hardens our heart. We recognize we need to recognize the lies and cling to the truth because sin is always promising us things that it will not deliver on. And we especially need to focus on the truth of the forgiveness that comes in Christ. So be aware of your heart. Stay close to people who will speak truth in your life. Recognize the deceitfulness of sin. Remember what you have in Christ. You are a new creation. He says, we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end, we have come to share in Christ. You are a new creation. You are righteous. You are holy. You are a daughter or a son of the king. God rejoices over you. This is who you are in Christ. You see, what's scary here for some people, we read this verse, and I know I know the first thing that pops in a lot of people's mind, Bob, what does this mean? Can I, can I lose this? How does this work? And we'll talk about that. This will be, we, we will deal with this, that. But let me just remind you in Hebrews chapter 12, verse three, it says, a verse that I've quoted you so many times because I love it. It says that G Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who started the whole deal and he says, I'm the one that's gonna finish it. Follow me, trust me. And then he, he closes, and he, he, he's quoted earlier, Psalm 95. And now, this is so interesting. He's going to quote it again. Like, did you forget you just wrote that? As has just been said. Okay, no, he didn't forget. He said, I just said this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He's saying, I didn't forget this. I'm saying it twice. And you guys know, man, when you're studying ancient literature, oh boy, if somebody says something twice, they are emphasizing it. They are beating us over there. They are, it's like the writer of Hebrews is up here and he says, I'm gonna raise my voice and yell this at you so that making sure you pay attention to what I'm saying today, not tomorrow, not next week, today, he says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. And then he calls, he says, I, I want you to understand. Look at the mistakes they made. Verse 16, who, these are rhetorical questions. Who were they who heard and rebelled? They all know who they were, yeah. Who, were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And, who, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? It was not those who disobeyed. 
So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He says they, they missed out on this incredible blessing because of their unbelief, because of their whole sense of, what have you done for me lately, God? I want what I want, and I want it now. He strengthens that message, and he just focuses. He says, you didn't fall short. They didn't fall short because they never saw God work. They saw God work and they still fell short. Why? Because it's a heart matter. We're called to trust God. We're called to have faith. And remember, we, we've talked about this a number of times. It's not, it's not necessarily the, the strength of your faith. It's what your faith is in, right? You can have faith in a lot of things. And if they're worthless, your faith is worthless. But just like the man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. He said, God, I'm doubting right now. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with belief. Please help me. And Jesus didn't say, well, get that unbelief straight and then we'll talk about healings. No, Jesus said, bam, the healing was done. This is good with me because he loves it when people are honest like that. And he works on even little bits of faith. And the problem here. I think sometimes that we get, and this is the problem sometimes with studying a passage like this, is that we lose the flow of the whole passage because we, we break, and I don't know how to fix this except to keep reminding you of what we've studied, right? Because remember, this, this um, is what's ringing in their ears as he is writing this and as it's being read to them. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He just told them that. So it's not like that's separate from this. It flows right into it. I want you to see that. We need to interpret today's passage in light of the previous passages. He says, so fix your eyes on Jesus, this Jesus who came from on high. He's higher than angels. This Jesus who, even though he was higher than angels, was made lower than angels, and he came down to earth. And he dies on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave. He was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He rules over everything. He's sovereign. We look to him in faith, and he saves us. He redeems us from slavery. He restores us. He gives us a new heart. He doesn't want, Jesus doesn't want you to meet some moral code. He wants you to experience his grace. And he wants you to do this today. Today. Don't put things off. Make a decision today. It may be that this is the first time for you forever. Having seriously thought about deciding for Jesus Christ, it may have been something you've wrestled with for a long time. I know how that is. And he's saying now, today, don't put it off. And Christian brothers and sisters don't think this is simply the idea of a salvation decision. This is a part of the process of growing in the Christian life. This is an ongoing work, or we, we risk becoming like the people of Israel. They hardened their hearts, and they missed what God had for them. So how has your heart, you know, I look back, I think about this. How has your heart been affected in the last few years? You can see it in what happened in the past three or four. You see it, what's going on now. I mean, you just, all you got to do is, is, is look, look at your news feed. And it's like the most depressing experience in the world. I love they call it doom scrolling because that's apt. How's your heart? So let's come together. Let's soften our hearts to God. 
I, I challenge you, make that your prayer this week. Say, God, I, I, my heart, I want it softened. I want to be open to what you want me to do. We're going to take communion. This is a great time to stop and think, how's my heart? Are there decisions that need to be made? Are there changes that need to be made? Today, today's a good day. Today is the day. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to ask those who are going to be serving us to come forward. I'm going to pray. Just come as I pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us. Help us to fix our eyes on him, even as the author of this book is challenging us to do over and over. And Lord, if you bring to our mind decisions, changes, things that need to be done, help us to have the courage to do it today. Today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.